talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. The Prime Minister spent the first National Day for Truth and Reconciliation on vacation in B.C. Good thing we kids were in school learning the rest of our history. Ted and Diana are in the newsroom. Will is on the board, and here's Scott Thompson! Good afternoon. It is 3.09. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Uh, Will Weber uh, on the board, and Ted and Diana in the newsroom. Feel free to jump into the fun. It is Hamilton Today. We would love to hear from you. Uh, Send us a note via the website, scottthompson at 900chml.com. The phone lines are always open, 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. Uh, Will Weber uh, behind the board picking the song today. Uh, I think we let him do that on Friday. And we may have overstepped our bounds by letting him do two days in a row. All right, Will. <laughs> Only now uh, do you recognize your mistake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, yeah. Before, on Friday, uh, Will played Boston, Peace of Mind, I think it was. And I said, well, yeah, I was surprised, Will. You know, you picked a classic rock song, an old guy song. I thought you might, you know. So, of course, he blows me away with the opposite end of the extreme here. Uh, what do we have, Will? What did you play for us today? <laughs> that was a song called Zen Zen Zenza by a uh, Japanese rock group called Radwimps. It's the theme song for a really, really good movie that, uh, that I saw a few years ago called uh, Your Name. There you go. So I was just about to ask you, uh, what's the story behind your uh, love of Japanese music? But clearly, I know the answer now. It's a movie soundtrack, part of. Exactly. And it's a phenomenal soundtrack. The band did the uh, the entire orchestration and everything as well. It was pretty cool. All right. There you go. Give us the title and the song again one more time, Will. Zen, 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 Sa. So it's Zen, like, you know, the, the Buddhist uh, yeah, concept, yeah, yeah. and then... Three, three of those, and then Essie. Zen, 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 Z by Rad Wimps. There you go. All right. Uh, don't ask me to repeat that. Uh, Will Wolfo. Uh, feel free to uh, contact him. <laughs> 905-645-3221. Start 9900 on your cell. Same number gets those, uh, riding, gets you riding shotgun with us. Uh, another uh, uh, great show coming up and lots of stuff going on, including we'll uh, give you a bit of an update on the Ambassador Bridge. Uh, initially, uh, stories of the Ambassador B- uh, Bridge being closed. Now, it's closed to traffic from Canada anyway, uh, other than non-essential. So we understand that that uh, freight traffic is moving again. Uh, however, uh, from the U.S. into Canada, uh, there's been some sort of situation where some sort of expl- uh, explosives found in a car. There is no danger, but obviously it's creating uh, heck along the Ambassador Bridge area. So uh, we'll update you on that coming up uh, a little later on. But yeah, just a, a weird situation today that uh, we're monitoring and uh, let you know what happens. Coming up, we got another jam-packed show. Uh, another, I talked to another uh, small business. Clifford Brewing Company is going to be uh, our guest today on the small biz segment. And you can imagine uh, one of those businesses that is doing well. Um, and I wouldn't say doing well. Um, but making up for what they're losing in 
uh, and this probably isn't accurate either, in, in, in the restaurant business or at least trying to keep afloat and, and finding other ways to distribute the product. Perhaps that's the best way to say it. And, of course, I'm sure they will explain it to us a lot better than I just tried to. Uh, also, uh, you saw what happened over the weekend uh, in Westdale, in the Westdale neighborhood around McMaster and such. I'm going to talk to a Westdale resident and uh, get their take on uh, what has happened. Same sort of similar situation in Ottawa, too. Uh, what is it? Is it the kids just letting off steam because they haven't been doing it in a year? Or uh, do we get a trend here that we got to keep a handle on? We'll talk about that coming up a little later on. Also get Hamilton Police Services uh, take on all of this as well. Uh, often, you know, called in to referee these situations. Uh, as I mentioned, into the 4 o'clock hour, we'll talk about the situation going on in on the Ambassador Bridge. Ted and Diana are going to join us for a roundtable coming up after the 4.30 news. And uh, were you aware that there was a throne speech this morning, Queen's Park? Uh, we'll give you a update on what that all means moving forward and if anybody cares and where we are and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and also, uh, the Prime Minister uh, has come forward and privately apologized to uh, a- at least uh, some Indigenous leaders or one Indigenous leader in regard to missing the very first Truth and Reconciliation Day. Uh, obviously, this is not going away, nor should it. I mean, my goodness, this is a day that he championed and said that it shouldn't be a holiday and uh, or, or rather it should be a time of reflection, not just to, you know, take it as a holiday per se. And that's exactly uh, what he did. Again, nobody, nobody begrudging the guy a holiday. Uh, but next week's Thanksgiving, there's a good time for one. Anyway, uh, you know, I, I really think that uh, the prime minister has passed his best before date. I think he's had three elections and. And uh, the last two say it all. I don't think he's going to find himself another majority, uh, especially at this point. And you, you wonder if there was an election today, what the outcome would be. Uh, so I don't think his heart's in it anymore because he wanted a majority and he didn't get, he didn't get that. So, uh, you know, what's in it for him at this point? Uh, at what point does he go for a walk in the snow? Or was it a walk on the beach? Maybe it's already happening. As our global reporter <laughs> followed him uh, until, uh, you know, the secret uh, police came in and and uh, and turned things around. So who knows? But uh, it, it certainly looks, in my opinion anyway, that this uh, prime minister's uh, days are numbered. And I don't I don't think he wants to continue on if he doesn't have uh, the power that his uh, majority would have afforded him had he won that. And in fact, this. Uh, last election. And the Haudenosaunee Confederate, uh, Confederacy reaffirms their commitment to stay on land in Norfolk County uh, that the uh, county is trying to sell. We'll talk about that and how this discussion has changed uh, in the last little while. So it's going to be a fascinating show. We hope you hang around for that. The poll question of the day, will your Thanksgiving celebration include more family and friends uh, this year compared to last year, uh, remember, oh, it's Easter, oh, it's Thanksgiving, oh, it's Christmas, and, you know, COVID version of. Does it change this year? Uh, 53% saying, no, we're going to follow the same sort of protocol. So uh, feel free to weigh in on that uh, on our Twitter page. Uh, feel free, Facebook and Twitter. Oh, they may have some issues with Facebook today. <laughs> Instagram, too. Uh, we'll talk about that maybe a little bit later. Uh, and of course, Friday's poll question of the day, the Prime Minister's trip to, uh, to Fino during the very first National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. Is it overblown? The majority, uh, 60%, almost 60% say no. It is not being overblown. And the fact that we're still talking about it today, uh, I think proves the point, which, uh, yeah, anyway, we've been there, done that. Uh, it'll be interesting what the Prime Minister, interesting to see what the Prime Minister has to say and his explanation for all of this. He doesn't know it yet, but there's an interim suspension coming right now. 
identified one student and uh, we're going to uh, suspend him from the university while we conduct an investigation into his behavior. And as we, we are going to find more, um, there are people coming forward willing to identify students and I'm confident we'll find more. How many more, I'm not sure. That is Sean Van Conet from McMaster talking about uh, what had happened in the Westdale neighborhood uh, on the weekend on Saturday when um, I guess an unsanctioned party got out of hand. And you've certainly seen the video. There's lots of that, which, you know, is is one of the dilemmas with growing up as a kid today. Uh, there's video of everything. And what we, uh, to give you a sort of a different angle of all of this, uh, we talked to a Westdale resident to give you the neighborhood perspective of all of this. Ryan Greiber is with us, a Westdale resident who was uh, affected by that non-sanctioned party by Mac students over the weekend. Ryan, thanks for taking the time. Uh, what, what did you see? What happened this Saturday, this past Saturday? Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me. First of all, just a little tired from the weekend, but here we are. Um, we had a very large gathering on Saturday, starting from about 11, running to 6 when the police shut it down, and then popping up again on Gary from 8 until about midnight. So, uh, obviously, we've seen the images and such. Uh, what is this like to those who've never experienced this sort of thing? What happens? Well, to, to tell you where it started in 2017, we were uh, very, very surprised at 7.30 in the morning to have ACDC, Dirty Deeds, uh, Dunder Chief, blaring through some speakers on the street. And, uh, you know, it being Yom Kippur, uh, the Day of Atonement for the Jewish faith, we were fasting. And we just kind of went to synagogue, came back, and uh, our street was overrun. Hmm. Uh, so that was the first. And then at 2018, it got slightly better. People uh, anticipated and tried to prepare. Still a little bit of a nightmare. 2019 was even better with the police realizing, you know, we could use police tape to our advantage and uh, roping off our lawn. Uh, 2020 took a COVID break, and here we are at 2021, which was as big as the first, uh, as intense as the first, uh, but with better police management and resources, you really only saw a little bit of spillover into negative territory uh, with about, I would say, 90% good vibes. Uh, Obviously, this is uh, an annual thing. As a neighbor, what are your ideas? How how do you think they should get a handle on this? I noticed on your social media uh, post, you said Mac should provide a safe space for them. I think that there's, you know, you have so many art students on there and some marketing students. Have a contest. You know, how do you envision uh, a social homecoming event on the quad? And the, the reality is there's so much positive that came out of yesterday, so many friendships, so many memories made. We're not negating the fact that students need this to build the relationships, to, to create the warmth and the attachments to McMaster. But how do we do that in a, in, a, in a way that's safe, in a way that minimizes the disruption to our neighborhoods? Uh, how much do you think the pandemic played a role in all of this, or is that just an excuse? I think that is a, an excuse people are giving to kind of promote their own agendas. Uh, you know, I've seen a lot of anti-police, anti-counselor uh, rhetoric on there, and it just doesn't fly. The police did their job. Maureen Wilson did her job. Uh, Our paramedics did their job. Everybody did their job. McMaster dropped the ball. That is, I mean, I read that apology from the president. And, you know, my response was, 
great apology. Can your apology come and pick up the glass in my backyard? Hmm. Uh, what are the other na- How do the other neighbors feel? I mean, you've obviously talked about this. Yes. So the other neighbors are not so concerned about the relationships that our students are forming, and they're not as concerned as, yeah. uh, as the benefits to this party. You so, seem to be quite forgiving, Ryan. These are our our neighbors. You know, we exist with them for the next eight to ten months. Mm -hmm. And if you don't build good relationships, and and relationship is not one way. It's not as we are the families, you know, our rights are uh, versus yours. You have to say, you know, what do these kids need? And sometimes they just need a little bit of listening, a little bit of caring. And, uh, you know, to create an environment in which they feel like they're going to progress to the next level and become us, the establishment. What's next? How do we move this forward? Interesting question. After 2017, I joined a uh, community group, uh, a community relations group at the university, and I saw a lot of people covering a lot of backsides. And I feel like that was, you know, best intention to side, not the way we have to go. You, you either have a resignment that uh, FOCO is a reality, and next year, say, McMaster pays for 20 porta potties hmm. and, and the other resources we need, maybe they hire people to have a no class policy and, you know, plastic cups only, uh, you know, if, if McMaster were to pay for 50 officers to go around taking glass bottles from people, that would help, you know, the four people I saw from McMaster and bylaw, uh, that they were the paid people wasn't nearly as impressive as the police resource. What's the message you have to students? Wow. (laughs) Um, I think you realize where you're going. You know, these are homes and bring plastic, stay hydrated. Um, You know, a lot of the the kids that came onto our lawn, we messaged the girls about toxic toxic masculinity. And they understood, you know, they saw what happened at Western. They saw the girls getting roofied. They knew that there are dangers going to these parties and they were protected. So the next step is to the guys we realize, you know, let's kind of create an environment that's safe and fun for everyone. And to the university? Well, congratulations. You have power. You have the power. You are a great uh, resource. And you, you bring a lot of money into this community. Thank you for realizing that and saying, because of that, we don't really have to do anything. West Elm resident Ryan Griver has been with us. If it's happening now, we're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. I was back on site yesterday, door knocking with permanent residents who live there and some students still witnessing, uh, you know, damaged trees, garbage, glass. Talked to elderly uh, people who were afraid, uh, were hiding in their rooms, not able to leave their homes. That's a clip of Maureen Wilson talking about uh, her take after uh, going through the Westdale neighborhood uh, after uh, a non-sanctioned event uh, took place. And, and I guess that's the best, uh, a party, a giant party. Uh, let's bring in Superintendent Will Mason, Hamilton Police Service, and he is with us now. Will, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. I am. Thanks very much, Scott. I hope you're well as well. Uh, often uh, the police get caught right in the center of these sorts of situations and have to try to referee and, and uh, obviously keep the peace. What's your take on what happened on Saturday? Is is this getting out of hand? Is it growing? Uh, 
I don't know if I can say it's growing. It, it certainly was a, a large event, and uh, we had a number of officers on scene, and uh, we we were obviously quite concerned about uh, the safety of everyone there, uh, both the the residents who live on that street, but as well the people who were attending that event, uh, as well as our officers and and other emergency service personnel who were on scene. What can you do? What can the police service do in a situation like this? What's, you know, uh, they're all there. They're doing what they're doing. Uh, at what point does it become out of hand? How do you control a situation like this? Well, when you're dealing with crowds of, of thousands of people, Scott, it's obviously quite difficult to move that many people very quickly um, yeah. without resorting to some tactics that, uh, that we really don't want to do unless it's becoming uh, completely dangerous. Um, the, the best thing we can do in, in those situations, and our focus was really, as I said, the safety of everyone um, in trying to keep everyone safe, because we, we recognize that in that crowd there were uh, some people who were definitely up to no good, who are potentially facing some criminal charges, uh, did some damage to some street signs, did some damage, obviously, to a vehicle that's been well publicized. Um, but there were also a lot of students there who um, were, uh, or student-aged people, who were not up to anything yeah. uh, that nefarious right so it is a bit of a mixed crowd and we are trying to balance uh the safety of everyone involved and that's uh there's obviously uh the big challenge for everybody there it's you know uh, kids blowing off steam versus somebody who's using that sort of event to to just cause havoc and, and create chaos uh and such um, what can you do for about this? Can you plan for this? Uh, do, you, do you know ahead of time? Can you plan for this sort of thing? So, I mean, we, we had, there was a plan in place uh, for this weekend, but the, the size of the crowd that we saw on Saturday was not, uh, was not what we anticipated. Um, it, uh, we were certainly expecting something, but, uh, obviously that, that size of a crowd. Um, so we, we just had to, um, we just had to remain calm. And as I said, like keep the focus on everyone's safety. Uh, obviously a lot of planning does go into these things. There was, uh, some talks with McMaster University in the weeks leading up to this event. Uh, some of our officers did visit some student, uh, a number of student houses, actually, um, and talk to them about safe behavior and expectations and all of those type of things. And there will be visits uh, in the coming days uh, from our officers, again, uh, in terms of follow up. And then with any of these types of events, we always take a look at and do a bit of an after action report or review of what happened. Um, and what can we do uh, to, you know, there's always room for improvement, and uh, are, are there things that we could put into place uh, that would help uh, in advance? But I think as McMaster has, has said, this was not a, you know, a sanctioned part. Uh, there were no sanctioned homecoming activities. Uh, so when people tr- decide to do something impromptu like this, it's uh, it's a little tougher to plan in advance for for that type of an event. 
Plus, with this not happening on uh, university property per se, in in a private neighborhood, how how does that change things? And and again, other than bringing out uh, like a whole pile of police officers, is is that the way you prepare for this? Is just outnumber them, or, or in that respect? Well, and obviously when we're dealing, when we're talking with crowds, like at the peak, we saw four to 5,000 people. Uh, Hamilton police, we, we number just below 900 in, yeah. in sworn strength, and that's every officer we have, who obviously all of them are not working at the same time. Um, so crowds of that size are uh, can be difficult to manage, and uh, we know that crowd dynamics, some people feel some anonymity in the crowd, and that's why we why we tend to see some of the behavior uh, yeah. that we did see. I, I would comment, though, that despite people feeling that they are quite anonymous in the crowd, I, I can assure you I've been doing this a long time, and they, they certainly are not anonymous in the crowd. We we have a, a great deal of luck identifying people um, through pictures and video, and, and as we know, that's everywhere these days, and we're in the process of gathering all that uh, right now. And... Uh, and the people that can be identified and offenses that can be identified, uh, we will certainly be laying charges. As far as it not happening on uh, school property, it, it, the dynamic is that it brings in uh, residents in the street um, who are just going about their day-to-day business, and they should absolutely be able to have uh, you know, unfettered access uh, to come and go from their property and not have to worry about this type of thing. Um, and it's unfortunate that uh, people allowed it, uh, the students uh, or people that did attend, uh, had that volume and, and of people and, you know, disrupted that neighborhood to that degree. It'll be fascinating, too, because you have all this going on, and as you said, everyone's virtually got a camera, so it's just a case of sifting through everything, but still, uh, okay. is that yeah. is that where everybody wants to be? Uh, Superintendent Will Mason with us, Hamilton Police Service, talking about what happened in Westdale uh, over the weekend in regard to an unsanctioned Mac, uh, Mac event with homecoming and such. Will, thanks for the time, as always. Much appreciated. Good luck with all this. Thanks very much, Scott. Thanks for having me. appreciate it. Catch up on the news and information you've missed. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. All right. uh, Feel free to jump into the conversation. As I mentioned, I would love to hear from you. You coming back here, honey? Come here and say something. Where are you going? Come back. Come back. Tell them the skunk story. I'm trying to print something. Come back and tell them the skunk story and how you let the dog out and then you got the dog sprayed with skunk last night. Oh, there you go. So the dog got sprayed by a skunk last night, and somehow I got blamed for it. I tried to pin her there, but uh, she gave me the snake eye. You know, if it, if it, you know, it's radio, you get away with this sort of stuff. But if you could have seen the look on that face right now, that was a snake eye or a skunk eye. I'm not sure what that was. Okay, so anyway, last night, now i got to tell you the story. So anyway, last night, I don't know, 10 o'clock at night, whatever, time to let the dog out for a pee. Uh, I open the door, uh, everything seems fine. He walks out onto the little porch there and, uh, I don't smell anything. And all of a sudden, you know, dogs, get that zero radar, you know, and then he takes off it's, it's, and then, uh, immediately you smell something and it's like, get in here, buddy, get in, get in, get in, get in. And he got in and, you know, and then the whole kitchen smelt like skunk. 
So then somebody had to drive to the Shoppers Drug Mart and buy some um, hydrogen peroxide. Is that what it is? So, yes, by the way, you can Google this, and it's very easy. And and the pharmacist won't help. You have to do this on your own. Uh, you get uh, uh, hydrogen peroxide, uh, a big thing of that. You don't, like, you, know, you don't need a gallon jug, uh, but a large container of that, and you get about a cup or so of baking soda. You stir that up. You get quite the... Th- froth out of that and then just put a little bit of liquid soap in there whether it's dish soap or what have you and then you join the dog in the shower i can't tell you what that was like and unfortunately my kid's at school so he can't tell you what it was like for him but i will tell you he 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 refused to go naked in the shower with the stinky dog he did have his underwear on while he was uh showering the stinky dog with the uh special mix of of whatever uh, anyway, there you go. So if you ever, you know, don't panic. We, we panicked like hell the first time this happened, but no, no, don't even bother. Just go right to the cabinet and get the stuff. Uh, this is uh, twice for us now. And by the way, I did see the skunk early this morning walking down uh, the street in the pouring rain uh, as it was starting to get light out. So I have a feeling there is an issue here. I have a feeling it is the same one. Uh, but anyway, uh, spray number two for the tuck man. We'll see if he can uh, keep it at that for the rest of his life. Because, you know, really at the end of the day, it takes a while to get the stench out of the house, even though he hasn't touched anything. All right, I digress here. Uh, poll question of the day. Will your Thanksgiving celebration include more family and friends uh, this year compared to last year? You know, here we are in the uh, what wave are we in. Seventh, twentieth, twenty seventh, first wave, uh, whatever. Uh, we remember as we Thanksgiving, uh, uh, Easter, Christmas. We're missing all of these holidays, and slowly they are coming back. And we do have over eighty five percent of us vaccinated with at least one dose, which is pretty good. And you know, so I would think, yeah, it's a bit different this year as long as you're hanging out with those that are vaccinated. But that's you know, that's what the that's what the medical staff say. Right now, fifty three percent of you are saying no. Uh, we're not going to change. We're going to stay the way it was, and I'm guessing that's what the protocol uh, of last year. Feel free to jump onto our Twitter page and uh, get into that. She's back. You coming back? You going to finish the story now? What are you doing? No, we're not going to go into a printing tutorial for you uh, at this point. But, you know, uh, we we did get information on skunk, so why not on printing something? Hey, Ted, yes. say hi to Eileen. She's in on the show now. <laughs> oh, well, I'll talk to Ted. Oh, now she's coming over. <laughs> I'll talk to Ted, she says. Of course she gonna, will. She's not going to talk to me on the air, but well, she's going to talk to Ted. She sees you I enough. have time for Ted. All right, say See? hi, and then we'll get it Hey, Hi, Ted, how are you? I'm doing well, Eileen. How are you? I'm good, thank you. You Ask look remarkable why... for look for living with Scott, let me tell you I that. I know, right? Ask her why she let the uh, dog out in, oh, in, in the no. yard with the skunk last night, Ted. Well, no, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to get in trouble. All right, exactly. there you go. So, interesting situation on the Ambassador Bridge today. Uh, that is a major crossing. I think it's the biggest between Windsor and Detroit. And uh, traffic going to and fro obviously comes to a halt. There was concerns of ex- uh, explosives found. Uh, we eventually find uh, in a car of some sort. And the traffic between the American and the Canadian side 
uh, had come to a stop, and then eventually from the Canadian to the American side. Now let's remember, uh, from Canada to the United States is still closed except for non-essential service. So, and the way it sits right now, uh, the traffic from the United States to Canada is still closed. However, the uh, freight traffic and such uh, that is uh, deemed essential is moving from Canada back into the United States. But as soon as anything like this happens, not only is it a big deal because obviously there's security concerns, uh, but also just generally the flow of people and goods and things back and forth, even when the border uh, is closed to all but... uh, uh, essential services. Let's bring in Phil Gursky, president of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting, director of the University of Ottawa Security Program, and former CSIS analyst. He's with us now. Phil, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. Yes, thanks for having me again, Scott. Uh, so whenever you hear something like this happening, immediately everybody gets very concerned, and 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 especially in regard to uh, explosives and some sort of terrorism thing, whatever, uh, we should say that this appears all to have been neutralized, that there was someone with explosives in a car. That's about all we know. But there doesn't seem to be any sort of threat whatsoever. And as I mentioned, traffic now moving between Canada and the U.S., although from the U.S. to Canada is, is still, uh, from what we understand, closed at this point. What are your thoughts when you hear something like this well it was a curious story when you reached out to me your assistant earlier on this afternoon scott and, and you know for someone who worked in counterterrorism at ceases for 15 years and have written six books on the topic not surprisingly that's where my mind goes to as a possibility but i'm also very aware that the you know the the information that was available was very very minimal you mentioned that already there was a car apparently in secondary there was some kind of a detection of explosives whether it's by a border agent or some kind of a sniffing device they took the precautions necessary. So, yeah, it does cross my mind, but it's really, really important not to jump to conclusions until more information is available because you simply didn't have it at the time. So keep your powder dry. Wait till you learn more. Uh, he's surprised it was enough to set this much in motion with protocol to at least close the, the border for a, a period of time this morning. No, I don't. You know, you mentioned the Ambassador Bridge, and I, I grew up in London, Scott, so me and my dad would go see the Tigers play a lot in the 60s and 70s. So I've been over that mm-hmm. bridge many, many times. I was reading online that the Ambassador Bridge carries, get ready for this, a quarter of all Canada-U.S. trade, a quarter. You know, it's an incredibly important link between our two countries. And if there's even a whiff of some kind of danger to it or threat, they take the precautions because, you know, we simply, uh, I think they're building another bridge just south of that. I'm not sure where that is, the so-called Gordie Howe Bridge, I think. But we can't have that bridge taken out from some, some kind of an action, be it terrorist or whatever kind of thing. So, you know, it may sound like an overreaction, but... I think they did what they had to do to figure out exactly what was happening today. So when something, and again, we still don't know what happened or, or, or what set this, started this, uh, this chain uh, reaction sort of thing, but uh, obviously there is protocol in place when there is such a concern because of the reasons you've just suggested that once something is found, then bing, bang, boom, the, the, a series of protocol falls into place. Mm-hmm. Hopefully not bing, bang, boom, uh, literally, Scott. Yeah, sorry, maybe a very poor choice of words on my part. (laughs) Um, Yeah, you know, obviously Canada Border Service is involved. I imagine Windsor Police would be called. Um, CSIS, of course, as a... As, a, as an intelligence agency, would be asked maybe to know what they what they had on their on their roster, the RCMP as well, probably the FBI in the states and, and Michigan State Police to see if there's any indication that this particular vehicle, they'd have the plates, they'd have probably the, the ID of the pe- people driving it. Was there any indication this person was involved in nefarious activity, up to including the possibility of carrying explosives to try and do something? I, you know, we get along so well with our American colleagues, Scott. I worked alongside them for 32 years. There's a lot of backing and forthing in terms of intelligence sharing and information. 
So I'm guessing when that when a threat of this nature arises, even if it's only minimal in nature, that they would have everything basically up and running as soon as they could. Uh, obviously, uh, now that it has been determined safe, things uh, are, are starting to open up and such. But at the end of the day, it still is explosives in a car at the border. That's the preliminary reports that we have in a holding area. Uh, what's the protocol with explosives in the border? I'm guessing that's a no-no. So either way, there's something going on here. Well, for sure. Uh, I don't know how much explosive was recovered whether or not it was enough to do any damage to the bridge, but it doesn't take any much, Scott, to, to affect people's confidence. Even yeah. if it was, you know, these guys couldn't organize a piss-up in a bar, even even a minor explosion on the Ambassador Bridge would have incredible repercussions for people's sense of safety, whether or not they want to take the bridge. Um, you know, we're, we're showing COVID now. People are, are antsy at the best of times. And when there's some kind of rumors that someone was trying to do something to the bridge, that would have a catastrophic effect, I think, on our two economies and on people's desire to go back and forth. So, you know what? Again, it may seem like an overreaction. That's fine. You'd rather overreact than underreact. Um, I'm not an engineer, Scott. I have no idea what it would take to blow up the bridge, probably an awful lot. But even even a minor incident would, would have those, those knock-on effects. And we don't want that to happen. And neither do our American allies, for that matter. Uh, obviously, we know that there's still issues at the border regarding uh, who can come and who can't. Obviously, Americans vaccinated are allowed in here. Canadians still not allowed there. Does that uh, d- d- does that change any of this, or does this change any of that as a result? I doubt it. I, I think you know an investigation will be done. The determination made as to okay, were, were they in fact explosives? Was it a false alarm? Was it a false detection? Yeah. Who was involved? What was you know what was the idea here? Was there an actual plot? Was a guy that just forgot? I don't know, some stuff in his trunk that he, you know, he'd been there for a while. Let's let the authorities do their jobs, figure out what's happening, get back to normal. And I don't think this will happen in the long, in the, in the long stretch. Again, because of the cooperation we have with the American Scott in intelligence and law enforcement sharing, these guys are on it. They're going to do their jobs. We'll get back to whatever normal is these days, probably, you know, sooner rather than later. Phil Gursky with us, president of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting, director of the University of Ottawa's security program and former CSIS analyst. Phil, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. You too, Scott. Take care. Forget about his two cents. Scott has an entire vault filled with opinions. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Sandra sends a note. My little monster bear, a part terrier named Bear, uh, lives to keep critters out of the yard. He's been hit uh, probably three times this year alone by a skunk. The peroxide mixture is great. I encourage him to roll around the grass as long as he likes to. That seems to help, too. Good thing about mine is he's smallish, and I can wash him down in the double sink. Uh, not so much luck with Kurt. Is it, you guys got pet? Well, Diana, you got cats, don't you? Yeah, I have two. Have you ever been, have they been sprayed by a skunk? Ever been skunked? No, they're indoor cats. Oh, they don't go, go outside. Uh, Kind of like me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's an indoor cat. <laughs> yeah, it's good to know. Ted has never been sprayed by a skunk either, no. which is great news to hear. Good for you, Ted. That's well, a record you want to keep for your entire I life. I'm glad to participate in this. Yes, thank you. Although I don't think I've ever been sprayed by a skunk directly. Does it matter? Like when you're there with a dog that has been, you might as well just jump into the mix too. What the heck? All right, you two, let's start the roundtable here. Uh, your thoughts about uh, Thanksgiving, which is coming up this weekend. Remember, through this pandemic, whether it's Christmas, Easter, what have you, uh, abbreviated versions of holidays, the poll question of the day, will you be celebrating, where your celebrations include more uh, family and friends this year than last year? 53% said no about the same. What are your thoughts, guys? Start with you, Ted. I would... I- as I recall last year, I think we didn't do anything for Thanksgiving because everybody was the whole uh, last year and COVID and mask and everything else. So mm-hmm. we all kind of thought, let's all stay our separate ways. But it'll be our close family. So 
changing from last year to this year, if I was to participate in the poll question, it would be, yes, things are changing. It's going to be really small, but it's yeah. it, it's going to be certainly more than just the two of us last year. And we Yeah, I think now that... I don't even think we had turkey last year. It's like, oh, well, whatever, peanut butter sandwich. Whatever, so. <laughs> Roasted bologna. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what about you, yeah. Diana? Um, last year, I, the same thing. I think my husband and I just did a turkey, just the two of us. I uh, didn't go yeah. anywhere. We were, you know, kind of scared. This year, it'll be nice, though. It's pared down from what, you know, Thanksgiving's looked like in our years past. But, you know, I'm going to my parents, and my in-laws are coming, and my grandpa as well. And all of us are double-vacked, so that was big yeah. as well. My mom, you know, with my grandfather being old, you know, it was very important that we made sure that everyone that was coming was double vax. So it's almost fun. It's weird, my, you know, like you have vaccine passports now almost for your, like with your family. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, really. Uh, I don't know what that's going to say for the future, you know, but if there's people that aren't, but you never know. And this is pretty much the first one where we've been able to do this, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking. And what is the, Diana, what do you think about Christmas? Do you think we're going to keep going that way? Ted? It'll be this probably the same thing for us. Um, uh, again, you know, because last Christmas we didn't do anything, uh, same thing. So I think it, it'll be the same small family gathering, but I think a little more, obviously, than what happened uh, in the past. I, I'm just thinking of, of Diana's family coming over, you know, Grandpa. She, are you going to have a guard at the door saying, let me see your vaccine passport? Yes, that will be my mom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah. She wouldn't do that. I don't think, at least. I, no. Yeah, you know, I bet you that's a, you know, you know that's going to be an issue. Like, yeah. You know, hopefully you'll know before the people get to the yes. door but yeah. you know this is going to be an issue with some family members i've seen it on social media already yeah. where you know they're not vaccinated they're not getting in i mean uh, yeah what do you think do you think that there will be people that uh separate uh their friends from others i mean now we're getting back to normal I, where do you go from here i i think you're right i think there may be some sort of family strife some families who um you know somebody who is really stubborn and doesn't want to get the vaccine oh you know i want to come well no you can't so how do how do you gently tell a family member well it's not personal that's what you say you know it's not personal yeah. doing the best for me you know yep. if, if you're someone in your family is immunocompromised or elderly or pregnant or ill or whatever you yep. know you can't you have to lay the law down and just be like sorry this isn't personal but can't have you around i mean i'd say you know, it i usually don't a- yeah. There's usually a bun fight at the best of times during one of these dinners. It's going to be amazing <laughs> what happens during COVID-19. Right? And this is before alcohol becomes a factor. Oh, dear. That's it. That's it. <laughs> all right. Let's talk about what happened in the Westdale neighborhood over the course of the weekend. I mean, we've all known Mac. It's been here forever. Or it's very much a part of the community. Uh, this sort of seems to be an ongoing situation. I was talking to a Westdale resident today. You can certainly hear uh, their concern. What are your thoughts on what's transpiring? Well, here? let's first of all say it it concerns me because we were calling the Mac game on CHML Saturday afternoon against Waterloo and all this stuff was going on literally a couple of streets away from us and what bothers me is people were calling it the quote-unquote homecoming party when it wasn't homecoming at all it was the first football game so they decided let's have a party then I find out reading globalnews.ca the same thing happened at Waterloo over the weekend where Waterloo fans and Laurier fans of course it's the same city not that far distance between the two they got together a couple of weekends ago. It happened at Queens. So this is an ongoing thing, but I think the great clip that we had today uh, came from Sean Van Conan, who basically said, look, if we suspend you, we find out who it is, and we suspend you, that is on your record forever. So good luck getting that job you want to get to. Diana? Well, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, I agree there. It is on your transcript forever, but 
I, I don't know. Like when I got hired for a job at a university, I don't think they looked at my transcript. I mean, I think these people need, I, I'm going to say it, I think these people need to be charged. Yep. So um, none of your partying showed up? Is that what you're telling us, Diana? Uh, no. <laughs> Back then there wasn't social media, right? <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> I, I mean, I just... Well, see, that, that's the other thing is there's so much video nowadays. Like, I'm surprised people are still doing this stuff and not thinking there's not going to be uh, repercussions. Well, not thinking is probably the operative word because, again, I would suggest alcohol is a factor. When you see a picture of a video of a guy up in a tree... You know, standing there, uh, you yeah. know, it's like you you kind of wince because it's kind of a long way down and something I, could happen. I get that. Like, I get it. You know, we've all been there and had those days in, in, in university or college. <laughs> I'll leave it there. But, I mean, this is just, this is embarrassing and this is disgusting for the people in that area. Like, I mean, Maureen Wilson said it well when she said, you know, like these people say, that, you know, this is my front lawn, not a frat house. Like... You know, I, I just don't understand. It's like wild animals coming out. Really. Uh, one resident I was talking to said that it's, you know, it's just progressed over the last couple of years. Obviously, it stopped with with uh, the pandemic. And that's the other thing. Is that an excuse, the pandemic? Ah, it's all the kids and the no, pent-up energy. No, no, you know what no. it is? Somebody posted on social media. Hey, let's have a homecoming party, unofficial. Yeah. And then it starts. And then, you yeah. know, and then it and it expands. And, and, you know. It's a lot of entitlement, too. Like, especially the, the people, I know I'm going to sound, see, I sound like an old, old lady now, Ted. But kids these days. <laughs> See, you know, they think they're untouchable and I don't understand why, because they're, you know, there's so much video circulating on social media and platforms. Like, what are you thinking? <laughs> really bad enough, bad enough. Um, it, and of course, we, as you say, we've all done it. We've all had the, you know, alcohol things at parties. That, that's fine. But I don't recall ever my life overturning a car. And that's that, exactly that, it. You know, here's yeah. here's a video of me committing a crime. Yep. I don't know. That's where you kind of draw the line. And let's be honest, the you know, 99.999% of the kids are just there hanging out, having fun. Yeah. It's those other people that are very few that are trying to, you know, create anarchy and chaos. Last right? point I want to see, and the information will come out, with the people that are charged or arrested, where are they from? Are they Mac students or are they people from out of town who are there to, you know, cause problems Good like point. we've had in the past? So that's what I'm really curious about. Ontario cannot go backwards. After 18 months of fighting this pandemic, we owe our businesses stability and certainty. Your government also recognizes that we cannot live under these exceptional measures forever. Vaccine certificates are a temporary policy that will be lifted when it's safe to do so in consultation with the Chief Medical Officer of Health. Lieutenant Governor Elizabeth Dodswell uh, giving the throne speech a little earlier on today. I said throne speech. Hello, are you there? Are you awake? Did you leave? You didn't even know, did you? I don't know. <laughs> that was... Usually there's a bit of fanfare and whatever, and even geeks like me get into this, but uh, this was, um, uh, you know kind of uh, done and over with before we all really focused on it. Maybe that's just because we're in the midst of a global pandemic and there's more important things in politics uh, going on. It is 4.51. It is Hamilton Today. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Weber is on the board. Ted and Diana in the newsroom. Feel free to jump into the conversation. We would love to hear from you. Send us a note. Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. And the phone lines are always open. 905-645-3221. Star 9900 on your cell. Ontario Throne speech uh, earlier on today. Let's bring in Alan Hale, Queen's Park today, and he is with us now. Alan, thank you for the time. Hope you're well. Oh, thanks, Scott. I'm glad to be here. 
It didn't seem to be much fanfare over this at, at all. It just kind of came came and went, and nobody really noticed. Uh, was this one any different from the others? No. Well, I wouldn't blame any of your listeners for missing this one because uh, it lasted maybe 25 minutes in all. Uh, we had gone into it thinking it might be going over an hour, but... Um, yeah, it was like blinking, you'll miss it. And uh, it just, if you were hoping for a bold new vision about what they're going to do before the next uh, provincial election from the government, uh, there really wasn't one on offer, unfortunately. Uh, we remember that government was prorogued in Ontario uh, during the election campaign. It was getting pretty interesting there with mud being flung everywhere. Uh, Ontario decided to prorogue government, uh, waiting to see what would happen with the federal government. Obviously, it stays the same. Uh, but uh, Do you think that's one of the reasons why it was so brief? Well, that was certainly the reason why they gave the prorogued um uh, the legislature, uh, but just judging on like the uh, the speech they produced today, uh, I don't uh, I don't know what they were working on uh, for the past few weeks. If that's what they were really doing by proking the reg- the legislature, and a lot of the opposition leaders made that point too. It's just if they took if they were trying to come up with a new vision uh, over the past few weeks, uh, they they just didn't come up with a whole lot. It was a lot of just the same talking points that they've done for months, and they sort of went over all the things they've done already without really talking a lot about what they plan to do with the remainder of their term. Uh, So let's focus on what they did say. You say they were focusing more on uh, regurgitation of what has happened in their response to COVID uh, moving forward. Uh, Anything uh, at all that can signal some sort of of, of light at the end of the tunnel or or what direction they may be going in? Well, they did put out some some points that they're going to uh, to tackle in the next few weeks. Um, They uh, did promise that there'll be a bill that will uh, be focused on increasing transparency, enforcement, and accountability in long-term care, uh, which is uh, a serious issue. Uh, And uh, considering the things that we have seen happen in long-term care, there are a lot of people in this province who are quite upset with some of the ways that uh, long-term care homes have operated during the pandemic and the the conditions that that have happened to people. Uh, dying of thirst and stuff like that. So there definitely is a real issue there, and it's a, the government does want to uh, tackle it, but they didn't give any uh, indication of what they're going to have in this bill to do any of those things. Anything in there that would lead you to believe uh, there's something in there regarding an election campaign and, and, and any tease there? Or do you think that's that's down the road from now? That's uh, obviously uh, as we get closer to the impending election. Uh, I think the election is on everybody's mind at uh, Queen's Park. I mean, it is like politics and uh, everybody always has the next election on the top of their head. But I do think... You could see it in the speech where they were almost apologetic about um, the strictness of um, public health measures. There was a lot of like, well, we didn't want to do this. And, you know, these vaccine temper- these vaccine certificates are going to be temporary and stuff like that to just sort of reassure uh, people who are upset about public health measures that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and they, they're not going to last forever. Because the positions, the... Um, government has taken on those things has have been 
very unpopular with a uh, certain subset of people. Obviously, back in the house on Tuesday, uh, what are you expecting, and how much of uh, how much time will we spend will be spent in and around the issue with optometrists and uh, the debate they're having right now? Oh, I don't know what the government is hoping to do with optometry, and I know it's like it's on the top of a lot of people's minds. I was talking to um, the the head um, indigenous uh, representative, like advocate. Uh, they're Ontario uh, regional chief, and he told me that he was upset about, you know, not getting optometry uh, services because he's a senior. I really don't know what the plan is for that. They just seem to be hoping that the optometrists will crack at some point. And I don't know if that's likely to happen. They did not make any mention of it in the speech today. We'll just have to see. Alan Hale is with us, Queen's Park today, and of course today Ontario uh, releases a throne speech. They're back in the ledge as of tomorrow, but it doesn't really look like there's um, much there at this point, certainly. Uh, Alan, what do you think the opposition's going to say about this tomorrow? Well, I know what they said today, and that it was a whole lot of nothing, and it's kind of hard to argue with them. The most charitable take I've heard on this was that it was focused on development, uh, like economic development, but I mean, what government wouldn't be talking about economic development at this point? Alan <laughs> Hale is with us, Queens Park today. Alan, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. All right, thank you so much. The truth and only the truth. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. The Prime Minister has now come forward and uh, privately apologizing uh, anyway to uh, one of the indigenous, uh, indigenous leaders who invited him to be a part of their Truth and Reconciliation Day uh, ceremonies. That was uh, obviously on Thursday. Uh, instead, of course, he flew right over them and went on to Tofino, where uh, he continued to vacation uh, with his family. And again, nobody uh, begrudging somebody for taking a vacation. However, uh, when someone sells character during an election that nobody wants and then doesn't show up for the very first Truth and Reconciliation Day, that he obviously uh, pushed forward, and rightly so. Uh, it's very, very odd, and it's it's one of those things that uh, a lot of people are questioning from each side of uh, the political spectrum, and a lot of people are asking if, in fact, uh, the prime minister's head is still into his job. Uh, we all know that the prime minister called the election uh, for no other reason than he was doing well in the polls prior to the election being called uh, for his work with, uh, I guess, getting vaccination to Canada and Canadians and, and his, our, our recovery and, and journey through this global pandemic. There was a couple of windows that opened up there. Uh, you might remember during the first and the second wave, there was a throne speech and such, and it looked like we were going to go then. Um, but then uh, I guess we hit the second wave pretty hard, and the prime minister thought better of that. However, it didn't happen between the third and the fourth wave, and the prime minister decided to uh, to call an election without any sort of uh, reason from the opposition, saying that he needed a new uh, a new mandate. He needed a clear uh, path to to what we were going to be coming out of this global pandemic. Well, obviously, he didn't get that. So uh, for the prime minister, you go back to all the reasons he's, he gave for having this election and how 
the parliament was dysfunctional, which of course it wasn't. They went on to pass many things. Remember during the early uh, stages of this, first, second uh, wave and such, people were quite impressed on how different levels of government were all working together and different stripes of governments were all working together in order to get us through this global pandemic. So it hardly seemed that there was a reason for even having uh, an election other than to try to win the majority that uh, he has. Uh, we, we certainly know of his ambition and, and what he wanted out of all of this, but that being said, it didn't happen. And $610 million later, we end up exactly in the same spot that we were with the changing of perhaps a couple of seats, but basically another minority government for the Prime Minister. Well, the Prime Minister wasn't interested in a minority government uh, during the pandemic. He insisted it wasn't working and it was dysfunctional. So now he's exactly in the exact same spot, except with a $600 million bill on the tab. So where is the incentive for the prime minister to move forward? Is he going to have or participate in a fourth election? I highly doubt that. He's already passed the shelf life of the average prime minister anyway. So where does he go from here? Uh, does does he does he just uh, ride along un- until there's a new leader called? Does he actually try to make an effort? Does he actually take the party into another election? Let's bring in Michael Tobe, Troy Media syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times, and former speechwriter for Stephen Harper. He is with us now. Michael, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. I am, Scott. Hope you are, too. Uh, obviously, uh, the Prime Minister is still dealing with the story in regard to truth and reconciliation. Many people are trying to put together, no matter what your political stripe is, of how this could have possibly happened. Uh, poor judgment not only on his part, but certainly on the Prime Minister's staff. Could it be, Michael, that he's just passed his best before date? He didn't get his majority? He's just not into this anymore. I don't think he ever had a best before date, quite frankly, and I just think that he has been a national embarrassment for six years the fact that people are just coming to this revelation and there are some canadians who you know have voted for him either once twice or god help them three times and now because of what's happened here and it was disgraceful obviously what he did with the national day of truth and reconciliation the fact that he took a trip to tofino bc you know released a fake itinerary through the prime minister's office and tried to get away with it, ran away from the media when they attacked him, you know, tried to lay low for a few days, stayed in an $18 million oceanfront residence, what he needed such a big place for, and out in Tofino beyond me, and then tried to apologize a few days later to the point that I don't think, quite frankly, whether or not he does meet with various Indigenous communities and leaders and whatnot, I don't think people are going to forget this anytime soon. This is not something that just slides away. Sure. So, so my question, forever, my po- but it's, it's just something you can't get away and you can't avoid. So, yeah, I don't think he's into it, but I don't think he's ever been into this job in the first place. So that was my point there. So you're not necessarily believing that it's, he's not into it anymore. Uh, you think this is just typical. He was never really into it. No, I, I, you know what? I don't know what he's thinking in private. He may be laughing at all of this or he may be embarrassed by all of this. I really don't know. I've never met him, and I hope to keep it that way, quite frankly. It's just everybody is so surprised that this could have happened. Nah, I was. You know what? It, it was it was stupid, and it was embarrassing to watch, but it's not surprising, because if you look at the pattern of him over the past six years, this is a person who never took this job seriously. And the fact that, you know, 32, roughly 32.6% of Canadians 
the lowest ever number to elect a prime minister in Canadian history. So congratulations to you if you issued a vote for the Liberal Party, and plenty of them did in Ontario, Scott. Um, the fact that you've kept this man in power, you know, considering all the insanity and things that we've dealt with the past six years, the fact that a lot of, that's a third of the country turns a blind eye to this time and time again, well, unfortunately, you have to live with it. And we, we know, obviously, that some people who spoke out against the, the Trudeau's actions on September 30th, some of them most likely voted for him 10 days prior to that. Well, it's hypocritical. You have no right to complain. You've had three opportunities to get to either not elect him or get rid of him, and you didn't. So, yeah, you can complain. It's a free country, but your complaint isn't worth anything because you kept the problem in power. And quite frankly, based on the fact that every other political leader, either a provincial premier, federal leader, all of them of every political stripe, left and right, handled the situation properly, it means that if anybody else had been prime minister, guess what? They wouldn't have run off to Tofino, and this controversy would have never happened. Michael Tobe with us, Troy Media syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times, and former speechwriter for Stephen Harper. Michael, as always, thanks so much for your time. Be well. You too, Scott. Take care. Let's bring in Aaron Detler, lawyer specializing in First Nations laws. Uh, a couple of issues I want to discuss here, uh, including uh, Brantford Residential School search to begin uh, next month. Also, the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, uh, Norfolk County, and the lands that are up for sale and who has title to them. Aaron Detler is with us now. Aaron, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. Very well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Hope all is well in the world. Let's start off with uh, Brantford Residential School stir, uh, search. That's to start next month. Obviously, what happened in the discovery of, of those unmarked graves and bodies beneath the former residential school in Kamloops have started all of this. What can you tell us about the search in Brantford? Well, I think that uh, given the fact that we're at something in the range of 6,500 uh, have been found to date, that uh, given the enormous uh, and long-running history of the Mohawk Institute, that it was incumbent upon the parties to begin the search. Um, there have been rumors and there have been uh, discussions internally about uh, people who have passed away while attending that uh, institute. So I think everyone, you know, unfortunately, is looking forward to some closure on this issue. All right, let's talk about this latest issue, the Haudenosaunee Confederacy reaffirming the commitment to stay on land that uh, No Fork County is trying to sell. What can you tell us about this case and, and, uh, and, and, and bring it back into layperson's terms so we can all understand it? Uh, a long time ago, many, many years ago, the Crown and the Haudenosaunee entered into a treaty. Uh, and it's actually in the 17, 1701. And that treaty said that over certain lands, the Haudenosaunee were able to use the land freely and undisturbed. So that's the starting point, really, is this treaty that uh, the British Crown acquired what they say was titled to these lands from the French. So that treaty is still alive and well. It's been a judicially recognized treaty by the courts. So uh, what's happened is that there's been a failure on the part of Canada, Ontario, to respect the terms of that treaty. So what happened was a piece of land became um, available next to the reserve at Six Nations and near Wilsonville, the, the, I guess would be the northwest corner of the reserve. And the Confederacy chiefs through through HDI purchased the land. So instead of have any kind of confrontation with a third party, they used their own money to remove the people who were on the land. 
and um, in effect cleared the title to the land. And now they're on the land, harvesting consistent with the treaty right, which says free and undisturbed. And Norfolk is saying you got to pay taxes. So we're right back to the uh, Boston Tea Party now. Hmm. And just to make sure that no one unwittingly walks into a situation that is not going to turn out well for them, um, the HDI and placed an advertisement in several local newspapers, just informing everyone, basically a buyer beware advertisement, that uh, the Haudenosaunee aren't going to be leaving this land anytime soon. So that's where we're at now. So, and obviously the county thinks this land was ceded to them, that they have the rights to it. Is that accurate? Yeah, pretty much. The county's, you know, come out and denied that the treaty exists, which is unfortunate. Um, We've asked the county to sit down Excuse me. We've asked them to sit down probably three or four different times now in good faith to discuss the issue, to work through it. Um, and they've simply refused, and, and they continue to press forward with the, uh, a tax sale of the property. Now, we, we say that we're entitled to use the land free of taxation. And if they want to proceed this way, then you know they're going to put themselves in harm's way in terms of legal liability. Uh, are you surprised we keep going down this road, Aaron? Um, no, to be honest, uh, yeah, I'm not yeah. surprised. Yeah. Um, but the disappointing part of it is that every time we, you know, on the on the Haudenosaunee side, try to find a creative solution to the problem, uh, we get pulled back into, you know, what doesn't need to be a confrontational approach. I think the Haudenosaunee started out with something close to a million acres of land when this all started out. Um, they're down to forty-five thousand. Uh, we've added forty thousand, sorry, four thousand, four hundred. Uh, acres approximately and this particular pers- parcel is only 40 acres and yet this 40 acres of land is causing tremendous angst i think uh, one of the mpps toby barrett chimed in recently and admonished us for not following the rule of law it's always interesting that they want they want the rule of laws as it benefits them to be applied but they don't want the treaties to be applied mm. uh again um how how do you generate interest with developers when these st- sort of issues come to the forefront? I mean, because, it, again, we've been down this road so many times. Well, you know, this is what we're trying to do is avoid the serious conflicts that have occurred, uh, you know, that we've talked about, that, that mm-hmm. everyone knows are out there. It's Gonestado, uh, Douglas Creek, uh, Mackenzie Meadows, yeah. the land back movement. Um, you know, and if the municipality really was thinking in the long term, they would sit down with us and have a discussion about how to move forward because there's going to be a development chill that is cast over the entirety of Norfolk County. Like, Who's going to want to come down to Norfolk County and develop with this kind of uncertainty where they know that um, the Haudenosaunee can acquire land and simply take it up? Right. That, that's my whole point in all of this, Aaron. Like, this is only in everyone's best interest interest to get this to, to get this sorted out. Simply because of the past. I mean, we've all been down this road so many times. What about the province and the feds? Are they are they just letting uh, you know the Confederacy and the county settle it? I mean, where's the province in, or specifically the feds on this? Nowhere to be found. And I was gonna I was gonna say Tofino, but I don't think that's gonna go over too well. With yeah, really, yeah. Um, yeah, like, you know, we've got a throne speech that just came down from the, from the provincial government, doesn't seem to take account of this. We've got the federal government that doesn't seem to really be um, committed to committing, if I, if I can put it that way. So, you know, to be honest, you know, Norfolk is kind of swinging in the wind. 
I disagree with Pitch, and I think that they're really themselves in the foot by not sitting down in good faith to start discussions. But they're not getting good advice. They don't know what to do, and this is the first time this has happened. Uh, you know, I think they, they've been looking at Haldeman County, thinking, well, we're, we're going to avoid all of those problems, and now it's sitting right at their doorstep. Yeah. And to be honest, I think they're, they're panicked. Uh, this is sort of off topic, but it isn't considering what we're talking about. Obviously, it, it appeared attitudes changed in Canada with the, the discovery of what was below the residential school in Kamloops. We've just had the very first National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. Is this getting easier for you, uh, Aaron? It is to a certain extent. You know, when, when I when I having discussions in coffee shops with friends who are not Indigenous, they start they're getting it now. They're starting to understand yeah. what's fueling this kind of movement that compels people to go sit on land. And, and when we talk about sort of this last step where we've, we've actually spent our money to remove somebody else's interest to make sure this is a peaceful process, um, you know, in, in most situations, the people that I speak to think this is a good idea because ultimately, you know, reconciliation at the end of the day is, is about, from the Indigenous perspective, a relationship with land. And if we can't grow, if Indigenous people's, can't grow their land bases then you know eventually they're going to, they're going to turn in amongst themselves so we've simply tried to figure out a, a reasonable peaceful calm sincere method of acquiring land back that advances the goals of reconciliation um, and yet we're met with sort of this you know it feels almost like I'm talking to a five-year-old that's stomping their foot on the ground yeah. like, no 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 it's not going to happen well it's going to happen one way or the other like Times are changing. That's true. The Haudenosaunee Confederacy reaffirms their commitment to stay on land that Norfolk County is trying to sell. Aaron Detler, we spoke many times about all of this, lawyer specializing in First Nations law. Aaron, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Good luck. Thank you very much. Take care. If you're all about drama and gossip, well, this isn't for you. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. Scott, thanks for the time. Hope you're well. I am well. How are you? I'm doing very well. Very exciting uh, weekend to be watching the Blue Jays. We all know what happened, and unfortunately, uh, the you know the planets weren't correctly aligned for them to mm. move forward. Let me ask you this question, though: uh, They really did gel at the end. I mean, they honestly did come together, uh, and you can tell that the people on the team enjoy being there. The jacket, the whole nine yards. If they had somehow found a way to get into. Uh, the playoffs and continue. Do you think this team right now could have continued and could have gone all the way? I heard someone today say, I wish I could tell you who, I can't remember who I would rather credit them than use it myself, but it's not me who came up with this, but I'll use it anyway. They weren't good enough to get into the playoffs, but they were good enough to win if they had. Yeah. And I thought that's, you know what, that's a, they were peaking at the right time. They were, and don't forget the thing in the playoffs that you you whittle down your pitching staff so you don't need the kind of depth. Like their bullpen was better as the season went on, but you don't need generally as much. You've got you because you, you, you're going to have a starter or two that aren't going to be in the rotation because of days off and short series. So and their starters were good. I mean they they had they had a good bunch of starters here. So yeah, you know I don't know if I would say when you look at San Francisco and Los Angeles who, you know, I think San Francisco finished with either 107 or 106 wins. I mean, they were grand. Los Angeles gets a wild card game with 105 or 106 wins. I mean, it's nuts. Mm-hmm. Although the Jays missing the playoffs with 91 is pretty nuts, too. Um, I don't know if they'd go all the way, 
But I'd say this, uh, show me the team in the major leagues that would be really enthusiastic about having to face the Blue Jays right now. Yeah, good point. All right, uh, we saw what happened uh, in Westdale over the course of the weekend. We know what it's like to have a major university in our city. It's not the first time we've seen this sort of thing. Uh, your thoughts, and how do we, how do we, how do we move forward with this? How do you? Where's the solution? Well, let me throw it back to you for a second. We're going to talk about this on my show today. We're going to be taking some calls. Who do you think is at fault for this? Yeah, if there's fault to be had, Scott, who do you think? Where do you put the blame? I put the blame on the very, 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 very small percentage of people that use a gathering like this to create hell. Uh, I think 99.99% of the students are all fine, but there is an element there. There's a few people that will set a crowd of this size off. I, I guess those are the people to blame, uh, as opposed to who? The university, they can say it's not on our property. But again, we had the same question on the show. Do they have any responsibility or role here? And what was? And I didn't get to hear all that. So what was the overall consensus about whether the university it was? It, it was fascinating because I talked to a resident of Westdale, and he thought the uh, the university could do more to create space on campus for this sort of thing. And see, I look. I don't want. I don't live in the neighborhood. I don't have to have people peeing in my bushes and uh, yep. doing whatever on my lawn. So, um, you know, I'm not going to second guess that person. I I I question how much the university can really do. I mean. Unless, unless we're going to say you could, the university has way more controls now, it can lock up students or take breathalyzer tests on them, or um, you know, like it, well, the point is, the point is, Scott, if you tell them no, you can't do this, they'll just go somewhere else where they can do it. So they tell them on the school you can't do this, so they just go to their own residence and do it. So okay, and what if they did something? I mean, look again, what if they did an official, sanctioned on-campus event? Do you think that all the 5,000 or whatever it was who were at this party are going to say, yeah, let's do the sanctioned event, or do you, or is the forbidden fruit a little more fun, and we're going to go do the one that we want to have at our own party? It, so, it depends how many vehicles stuff. you've got there to roll. I don't know. I, it depends I, how many. I just, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm loathe. Look, McMaster and other schools can be blamed for things and have issues, and, you know, they're not, they're not faultless. But in this one, I just I look at it and I go, I, I really don't know how much truly Mac could do. You're going to send your security team of like 10 or 12 unarmed security people out to try and break up 5,000 people when the police can't do it? No. You're going to say, now, the one thing maybe they could do is if they really wanted to spend some time, uh, get on social media and start looking at photos and videos. Yeah, and that's and what's going to happen. But, but not just one or two. Not yeah. just one or two, Scott. Like, you know, you want to send a message. Anyone who was around and cheering even, not with their hands on the car, if you were cheering when that car was toppled and we can identify you, you're gone because you were encouraging the behavior. Or, you know, find other things, people hanging from trees or whatever else. Like, you want to make a point? You, you, send, a po- you, you send a message. You go with a point, and you may not, you know, some of those students will fight back and will, will fight the discipline. But you know what? So, so you try to make the case that we are we are serious about what happened. Because I heard a line today that says, oh, or maybe it was in the, from the the chancellor or the president of the school says, yeah, we're, there there may be some suspensions. Really? Mm. That, that that that's putting the fear into the students. There may be some suspensions. I'm one of five thousand. I'm I'm feeling pretty good that my odds are pretty strong. I'm not going to be the one nailed, and I'll be okay. 
I don't know. I keep coming back to the age of video, and it just seems odd. It's it, it's a weird time to be committing a crime while everybody's taking a picture of you. That uh, pretty much explains it all. Scott Radley with us, host of the Scott Radley Show, columnist with your Hamilton Spectator, and of course we'll be on after the six o'clock news. Scott, as always, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Thanks, and you know what? If you get caught on one of those videos, you're either really brave or really really dumb. If you're toppling a car or looking at a camera, anyway. I know, I, I don't get it. But, you know, uh, I guess if we were growing up in the age of technology, we may have a different take on all of this. Thank you, Scott. If it's happening now, we're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson on 900 CHML.